0: Well, good morning, Overlake. Uh, let's try one more time. Good morning, Overlake. Good morning. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Uh, maybe not. Hey, I am Mike. I'm one of the pastors on the team. Why don't you grab your notes out of your handout? You can see we are starting a series today called A Thrill of Hope." Today, uh, the message is about a hope defined. We're going to define hope, and then um, next week we'll talk about a hope restored. Uh, the week after that, a, a hope shared, and the final week, Christmas Eve uh, services, we will talk about um, the thrill of hope we have in the arrival of Jesus Christ, and so. Very, very excited about what God has for us this Christmas season at Overlake. Really glad to be with you today. I want to begin just by having you kind of cast your mind, uh, if you will, back to when you were a child and you were um, looking forward to Christmas. Now, just by show of hands, how many of you can remember as a kid that you would be somewhere between very and really, really insanely excited about Christmas. Anybody show of hands? Yeah, we, we were so excited about the arrival of Christmas as it progressed. I mean, we know that Christmas is the pinnacle of the calendar year for kiddom. And, and you know, th- that's like sort of the, the date about which all other, you know, things revolve. And um, as a child, I personally remember just being almost breathlessly excited about Christmas approaching. I'm I'm telling you, like, um, it's totally different today as an adult, and I imagine it's, it's sort of different for you, too. As a kid, you hear this, oh, there's three weeks until Christmas, and you're like, oh, no, it's never gonna get here. As an adult, you're like, three weeks until Christmas, oh no, it's right here, you know? And it's just this totally different view of what it looks like to approach Christmas. And, and I just want you to think about that idea of, of that anticipation as a child looked forward to Christmas morning, because it's it's that, that Feeling that that excitement that I want to define for us because if we can define that well, it will become foundational for the rest of our lives. So, let me just jump in and and talk about this. This is uh, the definition of hope. Uh, I don't think many of us are going to be, you know, wowed by this. Hope uh, as a noun. It's that feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. So, so the child has that hope toward Christmas morning. Is that anticipation, that excitement, right? Uh, the next one, a person or thing that may help or save someone. So someone can be a hope, right? Help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi. You're my only hope, right? So that's the noun, um, and yes, it's very, very appropriate to cite Star Wars in this holy context. Uh, the next definition there grounds for believing that something good may happen. The pastor hopes for a Seattle victory later this afternoon, right? <laughs> <laughs> we see, of course, we, we love the Seahawks. That's right, and uh, and we just recognize that um, that we cheer for the Seahawks because we love Jesus. So that's um, that's coming later later today. Uh, that's a noun. Now the verb is uh, for hope. It's it's the action of wanting something to happen or to be the case. Some of you are thinking, I am hoping this message will be short. Um, And then this idea of hopefulness, that that it's this living in a state of hope, uh, optimism, expectation, expectancy, confidence, faith, trust, belief, conviction, assurance, promise, or possibility, uh, i.e. a life filled with hope. And that's my prayer for you, that's my prayer for me is that we would be men and women on the journey that our lives would be filled with hope. And if you're just checking this place called Overlake Out, you need to know that that we believe and and we have assurance and we have uh, built our confidence in a hope that is centered on Jesus. And so we talk about Jesus, and we open up the scriptures, and we want to read about Jesus, and we want to understand all of the Bible in terms of what it says prophetically as it points to Jesus, and then after the arrival of Jesus, how we might live as men and women of faith in relationship with Jesus. So the entire scripture is all about Jesus. Our hope is completely centered upon the person of Jesus. And, and, and I just say that because I want you now to sort of go back in in, in In your imagination, and imagine what it would be like if you were alive before the arrival of Jesus, because in that first century context, there were a group of people and, and um, in fact, the scripture might even call that a remnant of people, there were a group of people in Israel who lived with that hopeful anticipation, that confident assurance, and every day they got up, and they lived in hope and expectation of the arrival of someone. Not not like a kid in hopes that Santa is gonna come. It's this faithful living that they are anticipating the arrival of Messiah. And they would get up every day, and they would go about their tasks every day, and they would make their choices every day with their lives built on a hope that they have defined clearly. They, they, they had clearly defined a hope, and it was, I'm going to use the word substantive It was filled with such substance that it became the foundation for how they lived their life, the choices that they made, the ways in which they approached the Lord in worship, etc. And and it might be a question that you have. Now, Now, why would they live in such hopeful expectation of the Messiah? And maybe even if you know a little bit about the history that was going on at this time of Israel, this was a period of time where many in Israel, many of the faithful in Israel, felt that God was silent. If you know the scripture, you know it's divided into two, the Old Testament and the New Testament. And this is the period called the intertestamental period. Uh, There were no prophets speaking to the nation of Israel at this time. And, And there was this season that was going on in the life of the nation of Israel where God did not seem to be present, that God seemed to be silent. And I bring this up because I have a feeling that right now in the darkest season of our year, there might be some of you who are walking through a season of your life where it seems that God might be silent. And it seems that there might not be much going on behind the curtain. And, and, and you're just wondering, as you look at your life, you're, you're asking yourself these questions like, why am I continuing to live faithful to God. Why, why am I choosing to live well? Why don't I just make the easy choice, the choice to make the cheap deal, the choice to take the, the, the easy way or to choose the low road? Why is it that I'm striving to live with integrity? And, and I would argue the reason why you're choosing to live a faithful life is because you've defined your hope. You've chosen to be a person, a man or a woman, who is going to let their lives be built upon the substance of the hope you have that God is present and that God is good and that God does love you. And I want to open up a story in the scripture. If you have your Bibles, you can open them up. It's found in the New Testament book of Luke. And it is the account that Luke writes about the person of Jesus Christ. It's it's the third gospel. And and so I would have you open it up. The the words are gonna be uh, on your notes. They'll be on the screen as well. But we're gonna look at a story about a man who had defined his hope. His name's Zechariah and his wife Elizabeth. And we'll start this story here in verse five, chapter one of Luke. It says, in the time of Herod, king of Judea, There was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife Elizabeth was also a descendant of Aaron. Basically, what that means is that Zechariah had married Elizabeth, and they both were like the modern day equivalent of preacher's kids. They, they both were around the synagogue all the time. They were around the teachings of the, the church. They knew who God was. Um, you know, Zechariah's dad was a, a priest. His grandpa was a priest, great grandpa, like all the way down from this line of Abijah. So, so they, were, they were preacher's kids. They knew what was going on. Both of them, look at this, were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. You might want to underline that word. So so they were blameless in how they lived their faith journey, and they were righteous, not in the sight of their peers, not only in the sight of their peers, I should say, not only in the sight of their friends, but they were righteous in the sight of God. Friends, what that means is you hire a private investigator to follow around Zechariah and see what he's doing, you know, when he's off duty, and you're not going to find anything. Like, he is constantly on his game. He's constantly faithful to the Lord. He's living righteously in the sight of God. He's living a blameless life. So you would imagine that Zechariah and Elizabeth living this righteous life before the Lord, that their life was just over and above, just filled with abundant blessings from God. They got a just nonstop blessing parade over their life. Uh, but it says this, they were childless because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. So so that's a twist right off the bat. They had no children. And, and it, it, it's a twist maybe for us a little bit because we know what it's like to maybe desire a family. But in that context, not being able to have children was actually viewed as a curse from God. It was a sign of the Lord's displeasure over you. Unfortunately, the woman got the the, the brunt of that blame in, in that context because they didn't understand how everything worked. And so it would have been viewed that Elizabeth in especial was in a state of shame or disgrace before God. And you could imagine that Zechariah and Elizabeth growing up, they, they they were preachers' kids, they knew all about it, they knew the Lord, they had a faith relationship with God, that they would have prayed about having children. And that maybe when they first got married in their 20s, they were so excited about starting their family. And they prayed about it. Lord, we can't wait until you bless our home with a child. And then that didn't happen. And then in the 30s, they continue to come together and just in prayer and in love and in joy and celebration. Oh, we can't wait, Lord, until it's your desire for us to begin our family, to build our home. And then that didn't happen. And then in the 40s, it didn't happen. In the 50s, it didn't happen. And and then maybe they began to give up, right? Because they knew how, how the whole thing worked. And, and so now they are in their elderly years. And they still were unable to conceive and have, have kiddos. And, and, and this is what the scripture says. Hebrews 11.1 1, Faith is the assurance of things hoped for. The conviction of things not seen. They, they had incredible hope. And, and yet, it hadn't come to pass. And, and so, so you wonder, well, how then do they choose to live? And I would say that after you read this passage about Zechariah and Elizabeth not being able to have children, you need to insert the word nevertheless, right? Right? Nevertheless, even in the face of that reality, that God had not blessed them in the way that they had prayed and hoped fervently that God would bless them, nevertheless, they chose to live righteously, they chose to live faithfully, they chose to live blamelessly. Why? Because of the assurance they have in the God who keeps his promises. Because of the assurance they have that God is and God is good and that God is love. And so they're going to continue to walk a road of faithfulness and blameless living in his sight. Because they want to bless God um, even though it doesn't seem like God is blessing them in this moment. And I also want you to understand where they are drawing the promise from God. Like where their hope is. It's in a promise that God had made 2,000 years earlier. I don't mean 2,000 years ago from this day. I mean 2,000 years before Zechariah's day. And this is found in Genesis chapter 12. God is giving a promise to a man named Abram. Later, Abraham. He says, go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. I will make your name great and you will be a blessing. So if you think about sort of the nation of Israel, some of this promise had already come true. God had had fulfilled his promise to Abraham to to give him a great family and, and to make his name great. We sing Father Abraham and many sons, many sons had Father Abraham, I'm one of them, so are you. So let's just praise the Lord. And so... You know, as part of this had already happened. And then he had made uh, Abraham into a great nation. So Israel had become a nation and they had boundaries and geography and they had government. And, and it was known then among the other nations, specifically in this period, uh, the golden era of Israel, where some of you know, King Saul was a king for many years. Then David was a king for many years. And then David's son Solomon was a king for many years. And this was the pinnacle of the nation of Israel. When the the borders were expanded the widest and nations all over the world would send tribute to the kings of Israel. And and there was this this incredible sense of importance and and God fulfilling his promise that we're being a blessing, right? And that, that our name is great. But keep reading here. It says, I will bless those who bless you and whoever curses you, I will curse. Look at this. And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. You can underline that. That's the part of the promise that had not been fulfilled. And so the Israelites, they looked at their nation and they looked at their history and they saw that God had blessed Abram and that God had blessed his name and that God had blessed them with a nation of Israel and God had made the name of Israel great, especially in the time of, you know, Saul, David, and Solomon. But then after that, after King Solomon, it all sort of went downhill. Some of you know the story. And the Israelites were unfaithful to the Lord and they were unwise in how they stewarded what God had given them. And and so in that period, after the golden era of Israel, the ownership of the nation had changed hands 25 times. They had been conquered and reconquered, and they had had, you know, walls and fortifications built up around their cities, and then those destroyed, and they had had uh, family members and whole generations captured and carted off to be slaves in other nations, and it looked like this promise that God would bless all the people of all the world through Israel, It just looked like that wasn't going to come true. Uh, Israel was no longer a major player on the political scale, and and it it wasn't actually a player at all. It was just a dusty little province of the Roman Empire. And and so you could imagine then the turmoil that, that was happening in the hearts of the faithful of those who sought to live every day in anticipation of Messiah, of those who realized that even though God might be silent, he is not absent. And then here's a little piece of history. In the year 65 B.C., before the arrival of Jesus, a a Roman leader named Pompey the Great marched with his army into Jerusalem. And he marched with his guard into the temple And he walked into the place in the temple called the Holy of Holies. It was where the manifest presence of the Spirit of God dwelt. And and it was the most holy and revered place in all of the Jewish religious community. And Pompey the Great walked in, threw the curtains open, and he looked around, and he gave a snort of disgust, and he walked out unscathed. And it was whispered in all of the corners of Israel and all of the people of Israel that Jupiter, the king of Rome, the God of Rome, is more mighty than Yahweh, the God of Israel. And if you were there in that day and if I were there in that day, we we would have been very tempted to just give up hope entirely. We would have been very tempted to, you know, say to our friend or our brother or our dad or our mom who is faithful, we would have been tempted to say, you know what, you should just give up on that promise of God. You should just let it go. Um, In that day, you need to know that there were so many people of Israel that turned their backs on God. And they began to embrace the Greco-Roman way of life. They began to inhabit the the Greco-Roman philosophy and the Greco-Roman forms of education and the Greco-Roman cosmology. They just just turned their back on God, and they went after this new way of thinking about and seeing the world. And if you and I were there, we would have been tempted to say, you know what, you should do that. You, You should just give up. Because God, if there ever really was a God, he has long since abandoned you. And the promise to be a blessing to all the people in the world, uh, that's never going to happen. And if you and I would have said that, we would have been dead wrong. Because this is exactly where Luke wants to start his story. Okay. And so uh, uh, what I want to do is I, I, I just want you to understand. I bring this up because I know that there are some of you at Overlake that are walking a really hard road right now. I know that there are some of you that look around at the circumstances in your life and you just wonder, where is God in this? God, why are you silent right now? If there ever was a time, Lord, for you to move, this would be the time. Why aren't you moving? You know, I... I have the privilege and honor of walking with some of you at, at really pivotal and crucial times in your life. And I, I've been invited to walk a road with a young couple this week. And I'm not going to give you details on what they're walking through, but I want you to know it absolutely qualifies as every parent's worst nightmare. If you're a parent here, I just I want you to think about what it is that's your worst nightmare, and then multiply that by Ten. And then swallow that emotion down so that it sits right here. And, and, and imagine what it feels like to not be able to go anywhere where that pain is lessened. To not be able to do anything where that grief is mitigated. Understand what it feels like to not be able to sleep or to eat. And in the midst of that moment, I know this young couple has been tempted just to go, God, where are you? Why am I walking a faithful road? Why am I choosing to live blameless in your sight? I I, I have no evidence right now that you're even here. And yet I want to tell you, they're choosing to walk the road of Zechariah. And they're choosing to be faithful. Even though the circumstances of life, they're they're not the, the blessing that they had hoped for. And yet they're choosing to be faithful. They're realizing that though God is silent, he is not Absent, And so that's where Israel is. I know that's where some of you are right now. I mean, Overlake has an opportunity to walk with, with couples, and I know some couples right now are in incredible pain. I know some of your stories. I know some of you, as you've, as you've parented your children, you see your children making decisions that are self-destructive or destructive to others, and and your heart is breaking, and you're lifting them up before the Lord. You have incredible hope for your family in the Lord, and yet it doesn't seem to be happening. And in the midst of that moment, there is this question that comes up, does God even care? Does he even see what I'm going through? Does God even know that I am crying out, that I don't even know where to go with my grief? Does he even notice my pain? And Luke has an answer to that question, and that's, that's what we're gonna get into right now. And this is in Luke chapter one. We're, we're in verse eight right now. Luke's answering the question, yeah, God is still at work. God is up to something. It says, once when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God he was chosen by lot according to the custom of the priesthood to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense and when the time came for the burning uh, when the time for the burning of incense came all the assembled worshipers were praying outside and again, this is that part of the Jewish religious custom where the one would be chosen, the priest, and the priest would do all of the purification rites and then enter into that inner temple, that inner sanctum to be in the presence of the Lord. And, uh, and so that's what was going on here. Zechariah was the one chosen to do that. It says, then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Now, I just, I want to point this out. You realize that every time an angel shows up on the scene, the first words are, don't be afraid, right? You know that. So every single time an angel in the scripture, it's, it's like the it's like heaven's protocol. Oh, don't be afraid. It's like they got a script. It's like Miranda, right? Don't be afraid. I'm not here to hurt you. Uh, you know, it's good tidings, great joy. Like it's, you know, it's it's. And the reason why is because you're talking about the sheer weight of glory. That it's it's. This is an emissary from Lord God almighty, a mighty warrior and messenger of light coming into your presence. And you just imagine your mortal self in the presence of holiness and righteousness. Every time, right, the the people who see angels are tempted to worship them as God. The angels are like, oh, don't worship me, you know, you didn't worship God. He's he's great. I'm just an angel, you know. And and meanwhile, they're just like freaking out, the humans, because, oh, man. Now, I just, I, I want you to think about this for a moment people say sometimes like, oh, I just, I felt an angel was with me, or oh, I, I, I saw an angel. <laughs> you didn't see an angel? That wasn't an a- I mean, that might have been an angel's like third cousin, but that wasn't an angel. If, if it was an angel, you would have, you know, wet yourself. Like, like, an angel appeared, and you would have needed Depends that day. Like, you need to recognize what's going on, because my thought is, in, in the presence of righteousness, what humans do is they instantly see their unrighteousness, right? So instantly, every bad thought, every selfish, rude, deceptive, lustful, you know, greedy, vain, like, you're just saying all this stuff that's going on in my mind that I've done. It's right now in my face, and, and and, and you just freak out, and Zechariah was freaking out before the Lord. He's so afraid, and he's thinking about all the stuff that he'd done, but remember, Zechariah was blameless. He was righteous in the eyes of God. Imagine if that were you, all right? I mean, you'd be on the floor. like that, that's just. Re- and, 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 and the angel says, no, 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 don't, don't be afraid, right? Don't be afraid, Zechariah. Look what he says. Your prayer has been heard. Can I say that to you today? Your prayer has been heard. You're you're wondering, where is God in all this? And I want you to understand God is, and God is good, and God is love. And he hears your prayer. Your prayer, that deep yearning of your heart, that place where your grief is, as you express it honestly, lamenting before the Lord, your prayer has been heard. He goes on. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you're to call him John. He will be a joy and a delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth, for he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He's never to take wine or other fermented drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. Why will he bring them back? Because they've turned from the Lord. John, this is John the baptizer, John the Baptist. He will turn them back to the Lord. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. See, it's so interesting, and you take a look at that passage, you see what the angel is doing to Zechariah as he is revealing Zechariah's deep hope and yearning. So you're going to have a child, a son, and he will be John, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, turning many Israelites back to the Lord, and he will prepare a people for the coming of the Lord. Messiah is coming. Messiah is on the way. And, and, and Zechariah, you know that thing you've been yearning for your whole life? You know that thing you've been hoping for and praying for? You know that, that hope that you have built as the foundation for your righteous and blameless life? You understand that that thing that you have been just dreaming about is right now coming true in your midst, in your family. And you can imagine the thrill of hope that went through Zechariah for just an instant, a thrill all the way through as he considered the possibility that the Lord was bringing to fruition all of his hope, making it tangible right here in his lifetime. And then Zechariah becomes an absolute dude. And he says, whoa, 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 wait a second. Wait a second. I, I don't want to get my hopes up just yet. Look what he says. Zechariah asked the angel, how can I be sure? right? That's what we want. We, uh, okay, wait, I, I've been living in faith forever, but now you're saying, I just, I need a little proof. How can I be sure of this? Because I'm an old man, and my wife, <laughs> uh, she's uh, well along in years. <laughs> and the angel said to him, I am Gabriel. Now, I don't know. This isn't scripture. It doesn't say, you know, volume or or tone right here. But I just imagine that Gabriel has been very kind and tender to Zechariah up until this moment. And Zechariah questions an angel. Basically, what Zechariah says to the angel is, you could be lying to me. And the response he gets from the angel is, I am Gabriel, 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 right? Like, psh! it's like that, uh, that, that thing when the, you know, the guy's listening to the stereo and his hair's flying back. And you, you can just imagine, psh! you know, I am Gabriel and I stand in the very presence of the Lord Almighty. You could imagine Zechariah had no more concerns, Right? <laughs> I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not able to speak until the, the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Okay. It's, just, it, it's an interesting interaction. I, I would just encourage you, if you ever are speaking with an angel of God... just take him at his word. <laughs> you, you know, and, and, uh, and so Gabriel says, it's going to come true exactly as I've said. And look at the last phrase there. It says, at their appointed time, A- at the proper time, some of your translations might say in the fullness of time. And, and that phrase, the, the Greek word for that is kairos. It's, it's that um, God-ordained timeline. See, God's seeing everything. He's seeing you, yes, and he's seeing your journey and your struggle. He's seeing your strife, but he's seeing everything. He's, he's seeing how it all works together and how all of the history of the world and all of the, the workings, uh, inner workings of the nations. And, and so he's, he's got the much bigger picture than you and I ever will. And so he has an appointed time, a time when it's absolutely the right time. And Gabriel says, that's this time. That's what's happening now. See, God was not absent in Zechariah's life. And God was not apathetic to Elizabeth's prayer. Um, God had not stopped working even in the silence of that intertestamental period. Uh, Zechariah was in that unique place of of seeing the deepest yearning of his heart. seeing the the thing that he and Elizabeth had hoped for for decade after decade after decade. It's it's this conviction of things unseen that Zechariah was now able to see. It says, meanwhile, people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple For he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days, he has shown his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In some of your translations, it also includes how kind the Lord is. The Lord has done this for me. He has removed my disgrace. He has poured his favor on my life. I I want you to just imagine what that experience must have been for Elizabeth and Zechariah. I want you to think about how beautiful it's just beautiful to think about the long faithfulness of this couple. The, the long diligence, the long righteousness, the choosing to walk hand in hand in faithful obedience to God, even though their prayers weren't being answered. And of course, God had a plan. God was unfolding something beautiful. God was working behind the scenes, and, the, and they could not imagine, they could not see. And, 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 and this is the fulfillment of a promise made 2,000 years ago that all of the people in all of the nations of all of the earth were going to be blessed through the family of Abraham, through the nation of Israel. And, and Zechariah and Elizabeth and John get to be an integral part of that. Friends, that's beautiful. And that, that's living your life on a hope defined. And, and I want you to understand that all of the Scripture and all the prophecy points to this moment. All the rest of the scripture talks about how we live in light of this moment. Because the moment involves this. It it continues, Luke says. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, another town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary. And that's the beginning of the story of the birth of Jesus. We're going to talk about that over the next couple of weeks, and we're going to talk about what that does to our hope. But Christmas is an opportunity for for you and I, in the midst of pace and in the midst of presents and the parties and all all the stuff that we run after, it's also a time to pause. And we begin to answer the question what am I putting my hope in? All sorts of ways to go with that. What am I building my life on? Am I building my life on the hope that is found in the person of Jesus? Am I building my life on the foundation that my hope is in God who loves me? See, because it really does come down to why we do what we do. This, This is why you would choose to serve other people instead of just living a life that serves yourself. You get to make that choice. I would say build on the hope you have in Christ. This is a great opportunity for you to ask the question well, do I just spend what I make or do I give? Do I value generosity? Um, This is one of those deals where, well, do I take the high road and the road of integrity in my business, or do do I just go with the flow and make the easy deal, right? Do I allow myself to be involved in shady things, or or do I make a step and and to walk the road of integrity? You know, for students, I, I know that today it would be very, very hard to be a student because students all the time, you're looking at your classmates and you're seeing your classmates just cheating as a part of the norm. And on the internet, you can find any paper, any essay, any form, like you just get, and so you're looking around at some of your classmates who are absolutely uh, cheating, and they're taking the easiest road possible, and they're getting good grades because of it. And you're like, what am I doing? Staying up night after night doing my own work, and, and am I just crazy? Am I just wasting my time? Some of you are wrestling with addiction of all kinds, right? And... And so you, you're choosing right now every day to walk a road of sobriety and transparency where, where, where you're walking in integrity before the Lord, and yet every day you're tempted just to give in and glut yourself. And when the temptation comes, you know you ask yourself the question, what am I doing? Why am I trying to be faithful to God? Why am I try, trying to walk this road of integrity? Why am I trying to walk this road of sobriety? Am I just crazy? I know some of you are, are walking a road of relationship. Husband or wife, you're, maybe a family relationship. There's a, member, a family member and, and it's fraught with difficulty. And it seems like everything you say suddenly explodes in a fight and, and, and you've tried to walk a road of peace and you really want to walk a road uh, wh- where, where there's communication that's opened up and, and, and it just doesn't seem to happen. And, and you are tempted w- when that fight comes, you're tempted just to walk away. And so you don't forget this. And you just, you're tempted just to walk away, but you don't. You stay in there. And you, and you keep trying, you keep reaching out, and you're wondering to yourself, am I just crazy for doing this? And the answer, friends, is you're not. You're not. Because you understand what your hope is. The, the hope that you have, the hope that you've defined, the assurance that you're building your life on is that though God may be silent in this moment, he is not still and even though I think he is still, it doesn't mean that he is absent. And, and even if I think that he is uninterested in my pain, it doesn't mean that he's not working a greater plan, that his plans are always for good. His plans are always for a hope and a future. And so I choose to believe that God knows this and that he cares for me and that he cares for the situation. And you walk in your integrity. Hebrews 11.1 1 in the New King James says, Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The word substance is the word I want you to focus on right here because I want to ask the question, what is the substance that you are building your life upon? The question that I want to leave you with is the question that only you can answer, the question, where am I placing my hope? Where am I placing my hope? Am I putting it in my financial resources? Am I putting it in my own strength or my own cleverness? Am I I placing my hope in some kind of a philosophy or some kind of a political system? Am I placing my hope in, in some relationship? Or am I placing my hope in the Lord of the universe who is at work behind the scenes who is unfolding a plan that is good, even when I cannot see it, and who loves me, even when I don't sense his blessing. This is called the thrill of hope, and, and the, the, the phrase, the thrill of hope, it comes from a song that many of us have sang year in and year out. It's, it's a, a well-known Christmas carol, O Holy Night. And the guy who wrote that hymn, uh, a, a man named Adolph Charles Adam, he has a, a line in there. And, and I want to I highlight this line to you because um, I think in light of what we talked about today, it has a special meaning. And it's this, long lay the world in sin and error. And this is a word we don't use very often, pining. Pining. Long lay the world in sin and error, error, yearning, looking forward, lamenting and hoping at the same time in that, that heartbroken expectation, that, that hopeful and, and yet careful expectation and anticipation that God would come near in the midst of our pain, and that he would love us. And friends, if that's you, I I just want to say that Jesus came to earth to answer the question. Is God at work behind the scenes? Jesus is the answer, yes. Is God faithful to fulfill his promises? Jesus is the answer, yes. Does God care for me when I'm walking through the valley of the shadow of death? Jesus is the answer, yes. 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 Friends, Jesus is the answer, and he is the substance of our hope. And I would encourage you to build your hope on him. Why don't we pray together today? Lord, we do just take a moment and reaffirm our faith in you. We take a moment and simply confess that we are building our lives, and we are building our faithfulness, and we are building our choices on the reality that you have come near to us, that you are God's answer to our deepest questions, to, to, our, to our, our most heartfelt laments. Jesus, right now, what I would love is, is I would just ask that you, by the power of your Holy Spirit, would wrap up my friends in this room right now who are hurting. I pray that you would, you would wrap up um, those who are in a relationship that's being broken, I pray that you would wrap up those right now who are hurting for their son or their daughter. I pray that you would wrap up those who are in pain over, over loved ones, moms and dads, friends, other family members. Lord Jesus, I just pray right now that in the midst of whatever darkness that we're walking through this winter, my prayer is that you would whisper your love and your courage that our prayers have been heard And that you are with us and you love us. We pray all these things in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.